Good morning. Oops, sorry. Good morning, uh, Olivet family. Um, I hope that you are as excited as I am for the arrival of Christmas uh, when we celebrate God's rescue plan for all humanity coming to fruition. And what's like super cool about today being Christmas Eve on a Sunday is like we get to have two services in one day, which if you are my four-year-old daughter, you are hyped. Like, like I mentioned yesterday, like we get to go to church twice and you would have thought like Christmas was today. You know what I'm saying? Like she was hyped to get to go to church twice and we get to light two Advent candles in one day, which is also pretty like unusual and wild, right? So I hope you're as excited as I am. Um, if you don't know who I am, I'm Jordan, by the way. I'm the director of uh, Neighborhood and Family Ministries here at All of It. So I get to talk this morning with you about peace. We lit the peace candle um, this morning, and so we're going to talk about today how Jesus brings us peace. And so you know, before we get started, it's always important to kind of, you know, define, right, what we're talking about. And so, well, what is peace, right? Well, briefly, peace in Greek is Irene, or like if any of you know someone named Irene, I hope she's peaceful because that's what her name means. So either she is peaceful or her name is terribly ironic if she's not peaceful. Um, but the word we hear a lot more when we discuss peace is shalom. And as someone who academically studies the Old Testament more than the New Testament, I kind of always kind of tend that direction. And I'm more familiar with the word shalom than the word um, irene. So I double-checked, did like a language like deep dive, as I love to do, and discovered that those two words, despite being in different languages, are very, very similar. In fact, when um, some Jewish people took the Old Testament in Hebrew and translated it into Greek, typically the word they used for shalom was irene. And so part of the reason um, I love the idea of shalom peace is that it has connotations not simply of the lack of fighting or the lack of strife, but the presence of wholeness. And so shalom goes beyond just you don't fight with your siblings, right, as someone who has a four-year-old and a two-year-old, that's the first kind of strife that comes into my mind. Um, but it relates to physical, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual wholeness, the whole thing. And wholeness in every way. And I, and I think maybe recently it was Pastor Dave or maybe someone else had a lovely uh, punny sermon title of Holy Whole, like entirely whole, Right. And so, but today, I don't want my sermon to just focus on what peace is, because for one thing, I feel like there's multiple pastors in the room who could do a much better job of explaining it than I could. Um, but today, we are going to f focus rather on who brings peace, or maybe even better, who is peace, and the effect that he has on two groups of people. And as we look at these two groups of people, I think we'll find relevance not only to the Christmas story, part of which we just read about with the wise men, but also to your Christmas story this year. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that even as we study this story that happened thousands of years ago, this true story, that even though it was written so long ago, it still has active relevance for our lives today. 
I pray this morning as we look at how you've, you bring peace and you've been bringing peace for thousands of years, that you would open our hearts to receive your peace. Peace that goes beyond all of our human understanding. Peace that can only be found as a result of your, your Holy Spirit. So God, we love you and let our hearts be ready to hear what you have to say this morning and give me words to speak so that I may represent you and your word rightly. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, those of you that have ever heard me preach before know I like to jump around all over the place in the Bible. So I'm going to apologize in advance for that. All right, so this morning, though, we are going to start in Ephesians 2. So if you've got your Bibles, if you've got your phones, go ahead, or flip, click, do whatever you got to do to get to Ephesians 2. And we're going to start in Ephesians 2, 14. Kind of an unusual spot to start for a Christmas sermon, but I think that you will uh, see why I'm going there momentarily. So I'll start reading in Ephesians 2.14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. The very word of God. Now, it's going to be really hard for me to not just camp out right here and, like, just preach a sermon on this. So I'm going to try to cover this briefly, but I'm going to hit the highlights. So for the context here, Paul is writing to an Ephesian church that is ethnically divided. Shockingly, right, if you've ever spent time in the New Testament, shockingly, the Jews and Gentiles are not getting along, right? Shocking, right? And... um. Paul theologically lays out how Jesus has brought the two groups together in peace. Like Paul writes down that Jesus broke down the wall between them through his sacrifice to make one new man out of what used to be two groups of people. And I just love the way the ESV translates. And he kills the hostility. Yeah, right? Like, isn't that epic? Like, if that doesn't get you hyped for reconciliation, like, I don't know it will, right? Now, in our context, today, Jesus is still our peace, right? Jesus is our wholeness. Despite all the brokenness in our lives and worlds, Jesus is what brings wholeness into the picture. In other words, if we don't have Jesus, we will not have true peace. We won't have true wholeness. Jesus is the essential part of that. And that's why the message of Christmas is so exciting, right? Like, we all know people who desperately need peace. All of us, as I'm talking, can think of someone who you're like, that person needs peace. And honestly, it might be you, right? Like, and that's okay. But the difference between us and some of these other people in our lives who need peace is that we know where to look. And some of our friends and family members don't, which is hard. Just let that sit for a minute. Like, imagine, like, 
all of the things going on around you and like you, you know where to find peace. But imagine for a second, you don't. You just have all these things going on and you don't know where to find peace. So Paul closes this by mentioning two groups of people, right? He mentions that Jesus preaches people to those near and near, sorry, and those far off. And now in his original context, right, this would fall on the same like ethnic lines he was referencing, right? Jew and Gentile. In fact, he even goes on to argue that these two groups will make a new temple in which the Holy Spirit will come to dwell. Now, in our modern context, nearness and far-offness, pardon my making up of words, is look much different than Jew and Gentile. But before we kind of get into our story today, I want to look at examples of nearness and far-offness that do fall along those ethnic lines from the Christmas story. So now, you can look to Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. So let me read this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then jumping to verse 9, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Very word of God. Okay, so like, who are these guys? Right? Because like, I'm just thinking like, after like, having a child, can you imagine if some like, random guys just like, came to your house? You know what I'm saying? Now, this is a little bit afterward, right? Like, we think of the wise men at the manger with the shepherds, right? So it's a little bit, like, not, like, right after Jesus was born. But still, these guys just show up at the house, right? And so it's important to know who they are. Well, briefly, these are men who study the stars and other um, astronomical bodies in order to see if they affect the events on Earth, so think like kind of like the ancient equivalent of like astrologers. So for example, hey, that star moved over there. What does that mean? Right? Or hey, that planet is brighter than normal. What does that mean? Or in our instance for our story today, hey, why is that star over there that isn't there normally? Right? They were likely men of status, right? Maybe not kings. But they likely met with and were consulted by kings, right? Because if you're a king, you want to know what's coming down the pipe. So if you see something funky in the sky, you're like, hey, wise man, what does this mean? Right? Now, they were certainly Gentiles, not part of God's people, right? So they weren't Jewish. The East could be places like Babylonia, Persia, Arabia, or in other words, they had to travel very, very far. If you just want to stick with that. If you don't know where those places are off the top of your head, just know that they was a long way away. We often think of them as, the, as at the manger with the shepherds. But, like I said, the shepherds were long gone by the time the wise men show up. Now, these men, knowing the star must mean something of significance, right, go to Jerusalem. Because 
if you think that a new king is going to be born, you would expect the new king would be born in the capital, right? In the palace with all the celebrations, right? So these wise men show up in Jerusalem and they're like, hey, where's the king? And they, instead of finding a king, they find a city that is just as confused as they are, right? They're like, what king? <laughs> you know? And um, they will get there in a second as to how Jerusalem responds. But um, they leave for Bethlehem and they see the star again. And I really want you to catch what their reaction is. The reaction is, is they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. <laughs> That's a whole lot of joy, right? Like, like the Greek uses the word for to rejoice, then uses the word for joy, then uses the word for great, megas, which is probably where we get our word mega, I would imagine, and then uses the other Greek word for exceedingly. So like, Matthew wants you to know these guys were pumped, right, about seeing the star. And we know the rest of the story, right? They go in and they offer these expensive gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and worship Jesus. Now, I love the way that um, one of my daughter's storybook Bibles put it. And this is entirely extra biblical, right? This isn't what the Bible says happens. But in the way that this storybook Bible retells it, um, the wise men get to the house and see the house, And they look at their gifts, and they start chuckling. And I don't know if that's what happens, but I do just kind of love the idea of the wise men in all of their fine clothes, all of these fancy gifts arriving at this little house in Bethlehem to this normal, everyday place, and just looking at themselves and just kind of chuckling. Like I said, I don't know if that's what happened, but I think it's a cool picture. And they go back home in a way that avoids Jerusalem. So this is our first group of people. Those far off, right? The, the, the wise men are literally far off, right, in terms of geography. But they're also figuratively far off in terms of their relationship to God. They needed wholeness. Because if you are a Gentile, if you're not Jewish, in other words, by birth, you are just automatically farther from God relationally because you're not a part of God's chosen people, right, per the Old Testament. And these men are pagan astrologers who followed a star based on an educated guess. And what's really cool, actually, is if they were from Babylon, they actually could be descendants of the very people that took God's people into captivity. And they came, regardless, and worshipped a new king. They've just scratched the surface of his identity, but they have come and worshipped all the same. So now we will get to our second group of people, which is those who are near, or rather at least who are supposed to be near. So now look at Matthew 2, verse 3. When Herod, the king, heard this, the news of the wise men saying, hey, where's the king? He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of the wise men, he inquired of his his wise men, chief priests and scribes, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time... 
the star had appeared. And Herod sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. So we know the wise men don't go back to see him. And what happens in verse 16? Then Herod, when he saw he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Okay, so theoretically, right, the king of the Jews, right, that's sitting on the throne anyways, and the Jewish people in Jerusalem should be the group that is most excited about the new king being born, about the Messiah being born. You would think they would be most excited, right? But no, what does Matthew say King Herod is and the whole city with him? Troubled. Contrast this with the wise men, who upon seeing the star responded with great joy, the Gentile pagans are more excited about the Jewish Messiah. You can just imagine Matthew as he's writing this gospel. Like, what a wake-up call to the Jewish people he was writing this gospel to. I also want to point out something from the prophecy that Matthew quotes. And that, if you want to go back and read it in its original Old Testament spot, that's in Micah 5. He says, from Bethlehem will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In other words, they are not being shepherded, led, cared for, comforted, protected. They're not any of those things. None of those things are being done well. All the things a shepherd should do is what this new Messiah, this new king will do. What an offer of peace. Right, an offer of a good shepherd, a, a, a perfect shepherd, in fact. But what does Herod do with this off, offer of peace? He absolutely rejects it, right, in favor of his own brokenness in quite possibly the most extreme way possible. Not only does Herod reject the offer of peace, but he actively seeks to work against a prophecy of God by committing murder to children in a manner that hadn't been seen since the Pharaoh in Exodus. And it's worse because this crime is being committed by God's people's own ruler. So with these two groups, we see God's extended the offer of peace to both. While one might be near relationally as God's chosen people, and the other might be far off as pagan Gentiles, the offer for peace stands ready to be accepted for both of them. And we see kind of a flip of fortunes. Right, We see it's rejected by those who are near, and we see that at least surface level, it's accepted by those far off, the wise men. Even as a baby, Jesus was bringing peace for all people, not just his people. Do you remember what the angels 
said to the shepherds, this will be good news of great joy for all the people. And this little baby is truly the king of all, whether or not they will acknowledge it like the wise men or reject it like Herod. And unlike some kings who bring war, brokenness, destruction, or in Herod's case, violence, our king, Jesus, brings shalom. So, you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with us? Right? You said you would explain how this fits into our Christmas story today. Well, as it turns out, The story of the wise men is not the only time in scripture where we're reminded of these two groups of people, people who are near and people who are far off. Do you all remember the story of the prodigal son? I will read it in its entirety because it's just so beautiful. I couldn't decide where to summarize and where to read. So sorry, you're going to have to listen to me read the whole thing. Because I just was like, I was like, where can I cut stuff out? And I just couldn't. All right, so I'm just going to read the whole thing. So if you're wondering where that is, that's in Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was a still long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, and the father said to him, your brother has come and your father and the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, son, 
You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It, is, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The very word of God. Wow, the love of the father for both of his sons in this story is remarkable. And you may have caught what I emphasized. While the son was still a long way off, that is the same word Paul uses in Ephesians. For Jesus preached peace to those who were far off. And the word for drew near, where it says the older son came and drew near to the house, is the verb that comes from Paul's noun in Ephesians used for those who are near. Wild. Now, step one of this piece is reflecting on this piece for yourself. So I'm going to give you kind of like two steps this Christmas, right? So bear with me. I know, objectively, there are people in this room, who are grieving this Christmas. There may be people struggling with addiction, secret or otherwise. There may be people struggling with anxiety, depression, other mental health challenges, struggling with the question, why is everyone else so happy this year and I'm not? And the question is, where is the peace? Well, let me remind you, peace doesn't mean these things never happen. Ultimately, the peace that we're talking about this morning isn't found with us. We are leaning into Jesus' peace, the wholeness of Jesus. So as you struggle with these things, feel these hard feelings that don't, ever completely go away. Those of you that ever have ever grieved the loss of a loved one know that the grief never really goes entirely away. So as you deal with these feelings, you don't need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and suck it up buttercup to find peace in yourself. That's not how this peace works. You need to lean into Jesus and let his, his peace wash over you and comfort you this Christmas and always. You all know that I I don't mind being vulnerable with you from up here. And I will tell you, I don't know what it was this year. Because this this is even before we we lost um, Dave's father. This is before we lost Barb Renshaw. This Christmas is the first time I have struggled. Like, those feelings, that feeling I said of, uh, why is everyone so, so happy and you're not? That's been me this year. And I have just been leaning into the faith and the peace of some of the very characters of the Christmas story we so look at. That Jesus, in the midst of, can you imagine being Joseph and Mary on Christmas? That is not a peaceful Christmas. <laughs> leaning into the faith and the peace that Jesus provided them, And I've been clinging to that this Christmas for myself. And um, as I was doing reading this year at Christmas, um, I stumbled across um, an article by a guy named Tim Chalice. I'm probably butchering his name, but um, a brilliant blogger. Um, 
And in November of 2020, he lost his 20-year-old son, um, unexpectedly um, passed away at college due to a heart issue. Um, His heart, for some unknown reason, slipped into an unsustainable rhythm that then caused his son to slip into full cardiac arrest. And the article I stumbled on was two years later, after his son passed away, he wrote an article called um, Christmas is a Happy Day for Broken Hearts. And um, it really touched me, so I thought I would share a brief excerpt of it with you. He writes, If we have hope as a family, it is hope that is rooted and grounded in Christmas. If we have hope that our disrupted family circle will be repaired and restored, it is hope that begins with the birth of Jesus Christ. If we have hope that a day is coming when all our sorrows will be soothed and all our tears will be dried, it is hope that dawns on Christmas morning, celebrating the day Jesus was born to save this world. And so, even as we grieve on Christmas, we do not grieve without hope. Even as we weep, we do not weep without comfort. Even though it may be a day of sadness, it is also a day of joy. For Christmas is just what we need in our most difficult times and in our darkest of days. Christmas is a happy day for broken hearts. When rays of first light pierced the darkness... When hope dawned after a long and excruciating night, the morning that Jesus was born. Worshiping you, go ahead and come on up. So like I said, first let this peace wash over you. And the second step, once you have fully embraced and felt that peace for yourselves, the next step is to share it with others. As you all head out to your various Christmas celebrations, some of you may encounter prodigals, those far off. Be ready to embrace them when they return from where they have been running. Like the Father, be ready with open arms to celebrate their return and remind them of the love of Jesus that, of the love that Jesus has for them. And through Jesus, the love you have for them. Some of you, this Christmas, may encounter older brothers. Those who are near, near, but are missing who Jesus really is and look at those far off with disdain. Remind them that true peace is not found in being better than someone else who is more sinful but in the presence of the one who is sinless. So, come prodigals. Come those struggling with anxiety. Come those struggling with hard hearts towards family members. Come those grief-stricken and hurting. Come those grappling with addiction. Come those who don't know how they're going to get through another day. Because Jesus has peace for you. And as you come and let the peace of Christ overwhelm you, worship him as the wise men did. On bended knee in full submission to the King of Kings, who is also the Prince of Peace, 
And may you stand awestruck in the beauty and peace of the glory of Jesus this Christmas. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you did not only come for the most of us. That you didn't only come for those who seemingly have it all together. But that you came for the least of us. You came for us who are struggling. You came to bring everyone peace. So for those of us that are in the room today that need to feel that peace, will you just make that peace known to us? And then as we feel that peace, as we feel your peace that goes beyond anything we can imagine, would you then use us to be heralders of your peace to those around us? Would you help us to proclaim that Christ the victor has come and given peace to all? God, we love you and we celebrate you and your peace this Christmas. It's in your name we pray.